Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Jesse Partridge. We recorded this a week and a half ago in Olympia, Washington. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that Get Up in the Cool does have merch. Something to think about as you start going to festivals again. Maybe there's some room on your fiddle case for a sticker, or you could get a t-shirt or tank top. The point is, consider repping your favorite old-time podcast as you re-enter the world. I put a link to the merch store in the show notes for this episode. Make sure to stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to keep up with Jesse Partridge. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Tune. Jesse Partridge, welcome back to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you very much. 
What is that good tune? That tune is called Remember What You Told Me. Where, where's that? Do you know where it's from? I've never heard it before. So it's a tune. Um, it, it might be a West Virginia tune. I think it. the, the only place where I think it's been really recorded was Jimmy Triplett. Okay. Am I, am I remembering that right? Yeah. I think he, he recorded that tune at one point. And I think probably somebody learned it from him and then taught it to somebody else who taught it to somebody else who sure. taught it to me because my yeah. version isn't quite exactly like the version he recorded. Yeah. So. It's an arresting title. I know. Sometimes old time titles, because you know, often they don't actually have lyrics, it kind of reminds me of... Are you, are you familiar with the concept of um, vague booking? Yes. Like, uh, yeah. Totally. It's like, what? What did you tell me? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't remember. Explain. I think it's a tune that lends itself to confusion when people ask, what, what was the name of that tune? And remember. you say, remember what you told me? And then you get into a whole who's on first dialogue. Yeah. One of my favorite ones of those is um, the tune, None of Your Business. Yes. <laughs> I think you said you play this tune a lot with, with Emily. Yes. Yeah. Emily Teachout. We're in Emily's barn. Yeah. Right now. It's a beautiful place to be playing tunes. And we're in Olympia, which is where you live. Correct. Yeah. You were on two years ago. We were in your house during Oli Old Time. Yeah. During and, the Oli Old Time Festival. And I was really... Um, Green to the uh, West Coast, Pacific Northwest, old-time scene. You were very welcoming to me, and that meant a lot. Oh, good. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a little bit, um, you know, intimidating to try to... It's like going to kindergarten and be like, will you be my best friend? And <laughs> asking around. So that was very nice. Had, yeah. you, had you recently moved to Olympia at that point? Uh, to to, to the, uh, Portland. To the, yeah, to the yeah. West Coast. I, I grew up in Oregon, uh, in the Portland area, and then uh, moved to Philly uh, for like eight years. And that's, yeah. uh, that's where I got into old-time music. And then coming back to the West Coast... Uh, like two years ago, three years ago now, coming up on. Oof. Wow. Um, yeah. And I just didn't, didn't know anybody. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 So you knew you wanted, you wanted to connect with the old time music people here, but like you, you hadn't been an old time musician when you, when you left Oregon, huh? Yeah. And like the rules are, it feels like the rules are kind of different out here. Maybe you could speak to that sometimes. Like, uh, the way that communities are built out here around trad music yeah. and old time music sometimes it's it's been a little bit like tricky to navigate yeah uh did you feel like it was easier to get to just kind of get your get yourself into the scene in philly yeah because there was like so many open jams yeah like every week um and there were all these festivals that are very um egalitarian yeah where the only boundaries are perceived social boundaries but everyone's camping in the same area there's no artist tent right and like yeah and it's been a little bit trickier to navigate out here even though people are lovely out here (laughs) 
like yourself and are very hospitable and welcoming. But sometimes it's been a little bit tricky to figure out how to access. Yeah. Yeah. Even for a, gre- a gregarious person like me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you, could, you could speak to that because like you are a community builder here in Olympia. Yeah. And you've seen it through different phases of I, I accessibility. Defi- yeah. I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to other uh, other towns and cities in the Pacific Northwest, but I definitely feel like what you're saying holds true in Olympia. Like that, there there aren't so many. Um, at least at least at this point, there aren't a whole lot of like scheduled jams that just anybody can show up to in the old time scene, at least. Yeah. Um, and it's. I, I feel like it's maybe not how it used to be. I feel like there was a time in Olympia when. There were like regularly scheduled events that anybody who just kind of wanted to try playing old time music could yeah. come and meet a bunch of people and make some friends and yeah. play some tunes and no pressure. And uh, and nowadays, you know, there's tons of people playing old time music in Olympia. Like it's a real good scene for old time music. But you kind of already have to know the people, and you people just kind of schedule events and hang out together, especially during the pandemic, of course. But I think yeah. even even in non pandemic times, it's less of a thing that you can just you can just kind of get your foot in the door I think it's maybe not quite so much that way um, like I play a lot of Irish music mm. and it's really easy like if anybody wants to just show up like there's two Irish sessions a week and they happen in public places and that's amazing just yeah that's great show up and play Irish tunes um, but I think there's there you can find them online somewhere if you search um, but the old time scene in Olympia isn't isn't quite so much that way and it's a I think it's a problem and uh, and I really want to change it. I mean, I really want to, or at least encourage it to change. Um, I don't know if I can do it single-handedly, but um, but I think it's important for this if this music's going to continue that people can find their way into it. Yeah, it seems something I've uh, perceived in the uh, on the West Coast is that maybe specifically Pacific Northwest. I don't know that many people out here who who just like very specifically are old time musicians. Uh huh. I know a lot of people like yourself who play a lot of different genres, and maybe if there isn't like an open jam of one genre in the week, it's not necessarily a problem because you can just go play Irish music or go play Quebecois music or whatever. Totally. And uh, but again. Maybe that's a little bit of that's a barrier to entry if someone's specifically interested in learning old time music, and uh, to be expected to know a bunch of genres. Yeah, but a lot of people do that out here. I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking about people that I know, students of mine, and just people who've like been wanting to 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 you know get involved in the traditional music scene who have really had to be opportunistic about it and have yeah. maybe gra- gravitated more towards Irish music yeah. because that's what people are playing and that's where they can go and um and find people to play with and uh so maybe that's why people tend to play more different styles of music rather than focusing on just one i mean it's cool it's an embarrassment of riches it is there's definitely no shortage of things to do during the week i mean especially in non-pandemic times no, we're not going to have the dogs on the podcast. Please leave them out. <laughs> um, so, let's play another tune. What do you want to play next? Let's see. 
We're in A, so, so should we stay in A? Sure, yeah. Um, well, should we do this tune, Baron Dance? Yeah. Yeah, where did... Uh, okay, first of all, what is the title? Ba- Baron Dance. Yeah. So I think that's like medieval Dutch for dancing bear. And this is real old time. Yeah, this is serious <laughs> old time. Um, and I, I thought it might be fun to play this tune because um, I learned it originally from David Kaner. And, of course, David Kaner passed away recently. And so um, I've been thinking a lot of fond thoughts about him and thinking about tunes that I learned from him and music that we played together and just what a, what a cool person he was and what a good influence he was on so many. I don't know anything, I don't know anything about him. Um, maybe we could play the tune, and then we can like you can that tell the, great. the David Kaner story, or at least how how it intersects with with yours. Sounds so, good. Yeah. yeah. So here's Baron Dance. I wonder if this is the oldest tune that will have happened on the show. I wonder. That'd be I, cool. I can't give you an, <laughs> I can't give you an exact date, but yeah. I, I understand that you're this saying is like, medieval. It's so like a medieval tune. That's pretty yeah. old. If you it like, and there's like I think there's Spanish versions of the tune, and there's like I don't know, like Italian versions of the tune. It's 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 been yeah. around. It's it was like widespread in Europe cool. during the medieval times. So, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
tune. Isn't it a great one? Yeah. I love that tune. Not to be reductive, but it is a it has some like parts of the Caribbean movie vibes to it. Maybe so. They're very satisfying. Yeah. To play, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's you know, it's easy to latch a hold of. I, I think it's a good it's a tune that I think one 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 thing that like David is David Kaner is really known for is like he loved simple tunes. Some that were yeah. just like easy to play. Anybody could just kind of get their get their head around them. And I don't know anything about him. I don't think I heard about him until um, I don't know what was it a month ago when people were starting to yeah post about him passing. And uh, I don't know is he part of the contradance community? I maybe think, maybe more than anything, he is part of the contradance community. I think that was yeah. the crew that I was hearing um, mourn the most. Yeah, publicly, so. Yeah, well, David Kaner was just a fantastic um, force for good in the world. Mm. Um, he uh, was one of the people, one of the only people I knew who could really play the fiddle and call a dance at the same yeah. time in, in like a super effective way. Like he really knew how to do it. And he would often like make up his dances as he went, which for a contra dance is really difficult because the dance has to progress like you have to move from one set of couples to the next set of couples and you have to make sure that you don't just go back and forth it sounds like he had a very powerful brain yeah and he was just that's hard (laughs) i think it was just that he was so deeply in it like he was like he'd spent his whole life immersed in contra dance dancing and calling and and music and yeah you would have to have a lot kind of committed to muscle memory to be able to keep that many plates spinning yeah. at the same time. He was yeah. making up contra dances while fiddling as well. I, I think I think it's not exaggerating to say that he that he has done that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's wild. And yes, for those who are unfamiliar with like contra dancing, so the a lot of the square dancing I've been to, it's like pretty casual and you know, it's like groups of normally eight people. And it doesn't have to exactly line up with the music. And it's okay if someone messes up. And it only messes up eight people and they laugh it off. Contra dancing is, like, kind of intense. A little bit more high pressure. Yeah, because yeah. there's, like, huge lines of people. And if one person is, like, drunkenly stumbling around, then yeah. it, like, messes up, like, a hundred people. It's maybe a little bit more of a cooperative experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually lines up... The the, With the, the, the music. yeah the moves of the dance are tied to the phrasing of the music so yeah. like you have to do a series of moves that's exactly the the length of a fiddle tune yeah and then when the tune repeats the dance repeats so all that is to say that's an impressive feat yes <laughs> yeah well and only one of the things that made David Keener a really amazing person I mean I think that one of the the main reason why people are really thinking about him a lot um, uh, in the days since he's passed away is just that he was such a um, such a community organizer and such a friendly welcoming person and he did so much to just make people feel to just create situations where people could feel great about being involved in music and dancing and where, where was he? Um, so he lived in Massachusetts um, uh, for half the year, but he, or maybe more than half the year. But he would um, 
he would he would come to the Pacific Northwest at least twice a year. So he was in Olympia and Seattle, like always for the Folklife Festival in yeah. May. And then he'd usually he'd always come. I think he always spent the holidays here. So he'd come in December, or November, and cool. Yeah, so he was around here quite a bit. That's where you got to know him. Yeah. 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 So, and I've been in bands with David, and he's been, he's called for my bands, and I've played many wonderful tunes with David, and I'm going to miss him. Hmm. He, he did a lot, of, a lot of good stuff in this world. Yeah, he sounds, uh, <laughs> he sounds really important. Yeah, for um, sure. To the like to the community, but also just sort of in the specific things that he was transmitting, but also he sounds like it sounds like he was transmitting those things in a very lovely way. Definitely, you yeah. don't always get both from people. Yeah, sometimes the transmission comes at a cost, <laughs> and sometimes it's the loveliest people, and you know maybe the thing that they're. That, that they have to offer art-wise is, like, not the point of the interaction. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. Which is great. And, yeah, it takes all sorts of people in Maybe the community. So. But it's really special when you find people that can be very nice and welcoming and impressive at the same time. It's like, wow. Totally. You didn't have to do that. Yeah. Be all those things. <laughs> Maybe sometimes if you want something from somebody in terms of, like music or culture like you have to go and get it from them yeah and then maybe endure a little bit of something yeah <laughs> yeah just fine it's like i think you know we're not like enti- necessarily entitled to everyone being a peach in every way totally yeah but uh just makes you all the more grateful for the, the david Kaners of the world yeah. yeah yeah the world needs the world needs people like that for sure uh, what else should we play today? What else is on the menu? Well, should we move on to another tune? Um, let's, um... You're, you're still in A. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm willing to move around. Well, Just for you, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's... Fast tuner. Let's, uh... Let's, uh, let's do another... Let's do our other A tune. Great. Um, uh, so this this will be sweet now. Yeah, good. Um, and I learned this tune from my friend Callie Jan, and I think of Callie every time, every time I play it. So if you're listening, Callie, thanks for teaching me this tune. Thanks, Callie.
uh, yeah, so we were talking before we hit record um, that I I haven't played with th- that phrasing before. That trick. It's got a little trick, a little j- musical joke in it. Right at the start of the A part, yeah. yeah. Uh, da as opposed to da da. Yeah. And everyone that I've played Sweet Note with plays this tune differently. And I've never heard anyone do that before. And I'm really curious how you came to play it that way. Yeah, well, like I said, I learned it from I learned it from my friend Callie, and I'm pretty sure she taught it to me that way. Uh-huh. I don't think I just came up with that on my own. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know if I don't know if that was like original if that was because it's a, it is a written tune. I think somebody yeah. somebody somebody composed this tune. Um, so I don't know if that goes back to the original composition or if it just kind of worked its way into the tune somewhere as it was being passed from hand to hand. Yeah. But I, I like it. It's it's fun. It, it creates a a cool dynamic when you're jamming on the tune with people. Like like you you're looking around at people and like who who got it? Who picked yeah. up on it? <laughs> well, I think I got it nine out of ten of the yeah I, I think i think you get you get you get an a on that one 90 yeah, percent for sure 90 yeah a, a solid a minus that's what i shoot for on get up the <laughs> uh yeah uh it's also like the little musical joke of it it's it's like a little bit a little bit saucy yeah which i i like there's like sweet now but then i think there needs to be like a salty now. Yeah. Well, maybe an umami now. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, maybe maybe there was more to Nell than just sweetness. Yeah. Yeah. I would certainly hope so. I imagine. <laughs> yeah. I gotta have this person on the show. I think I may have met him. I think, or maybe I met someone at Clifftop, and they're like, "That's the guy who wrote Sweet Nell." Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't. I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it. God. It's happened on the show enough that I'm starting to feel bad that I don't actually know. Yeah, so maybe well. I'll maybe I'll find out and put and credit it in the show notes. Cool, so Great. people can actually, yeah. And then I'll have to ask him. No one plays your tune the same way. How do you play your tune, and how do you feel about the fact that no one plays the tune? Though, yeah, the that would way? be an interesting discussion. Yeah. 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 I bet people who could, who have composed tunes have vastly different feelings about about the extent to which they're comfortable having their tunes yeah. change and diversify as they spread from person to person. I had um, Jim Childress mm-hmm. on the show, and I I kind of like grilled him about this. Yeah. I was like, no, really, open up. And he was a very adamant, at least about saying. That he's just glad that the tunes are out there and he wants people to have fun with them. Yeah. You know? And I was like, all right, Jim. <laughs> like, someday, like, we'll get drunk and, like... <laughs> <laughs> and you'll tell me how you really feel about everyone playing the light and hitch version of Road to Malvern, you know, as opposed to yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. But I at least like the idea of people being not precious about the, about it. I have I have definitely heard a few people say the opposite. I've, I, I know that there are tune writers out there who <laughs> don't want their tunes to be um, altered or yeah. used out of context, and who want to know about it if you record their tunes. Or I like that too, but just because I like conflict. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. there's there's room in this world for all different kinds of people, I guess. Yeah. Huh. 
Uh, okay, um, I should get into my my other tuning. Okay. For the session, let me do that real quick. Not that way. This doesn't necessarily tie into any tune, but we're recording this in June. Happy Pride Month. Oh, thank you. Happy Pride Month to you too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and also with you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's like a a churchy way that we're supposed to say that to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you uh, came out last year and. I really appreciated it because sometimes when people come out, they uh, there there's this inevitable sort of challenging question that is a response to it, which is like, why did you feel the need to like come out at all? Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it's not necessarily going to like materially like change your life or lead to like things being super different, you know? And what I've often said to that is, well, because being in the closet, even if like you're passing, it's just enduring kind of constant, like little, you know, microaggressions and assumptions about like who you are and how you operate. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering if like, um, if maybe that had to do with part of the reason why you decided to kind of publicly come out or. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're. You're zeroing in on it. You know, for me, like, my, you know, I, I identify as asexual. So, like, um, so it, it's, an, it's an interesting queer identity in that it's not necessarily super visible. Like, it's, I could easily pass as just, like, a straight person who just doesn't happen to be in a relationship right now. Right. And happens to have never been in a, in a serious, long-term committed relationship. And, uh... And it's only if you know me really well and you've known me for a long time that you start to realize, oh, okay, yeah, Jesse just just doesn't date people at all. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't have to be something that that I have to confront with people necessarily, or that has right. that, that needs to be like um, that that needs to be out in the open necessarily. But it it started to feel more and more to me like I wanted to, it to be out in the open, just because I feel like like every once in a while somebody would hesitantly like as if it was like a really delicate question, bring it up with me. So, so do you have a partner? Do you, are you yeah, yeah. anyone? And, uh, they're, you could tell they're already feeling like, like they've been thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Maybe even, maybe even <laughs> asking other people about it. Like how yeah. about that Jesse? Does he date people? Um, I think it's time that I knew about what was going on. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just want it to be, yeah. you know, less of a thing that has to be, that feels like a delicate conversation. I want it to be something that people can freely ask me about and yeah. have a conversation with me about. And that they and I definitely would rather that it was being talked about openly rather than people being like whispering to one another, like, <laughs> <laughs> how about that Jesse Partridge? Anybody yeah. know about him? I feel like especially as a like as a teacher and as someone who works with kids, like it's really important to me that that be just kind of on the table and everybody know about it. Isn't it strange the way that normativity of any kind kind of works? For some reason, like people people are constantly assuming sexuality and like um, projecting it onto everyone. And if someone isn't acting in the way that fits within their normative idea, yeah. they get nervous. I would imagine that asexuality is no different, ultimately. Maybe so. I definitely think that, you know, 
teachers and people who work with kids, that's one situation where like a lot of people who think of themselves as really open-minded people who, you know, yeah. are live and let live, yeah. maybe would start to discover that they have some hidden concerns about people's sexuality and people's uh, gender identity and things like that. That It's like, you know, has there ever been a queer president? Like, that's another situation right. where, like, who's, who, who, is, who is qualified to be president of the United States? And I think who, who is qualified to work with kids is another situation where yeah. there's, a, there's a higher standard of normativity that's required. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't necessarily think about it every day. But then, all of a sudden, when there's someone trying to be the Democratic, uh, you know, nominee, and they're a Jew, and all then, of a it, and then an all of a sudden, it's like, well, something doesn't fit about him. He doesn't seem presidential. And yeah. He, is it because he's Jewish? <laughs> you know, is it because he's not, you know, uh, like on the surface appearing to be a Protestant? You know. Yeah. Just those little things. Well. <laughs> Happy Pride Month, and may it <laughs> may it be another time when we can take some more steps forward to having this be a world that's welcoming and inclusive to everybody. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming out and making asexuality more visible. Especially when it is sort of like maybe there's an inherent invisibility to it, and it maybe it deserves naming yeah. in a way that... Uh, maybe other orientations would name themselves or yeah. imply themselves. Yeah, I've had to think carefully about whether, like, it, I had, like, is it even fair for me to claim a queer identity as an asexual person? I mean, I, de- I definitely feel like I've come to the conclusion that yes, it is. But um, but it's so it is so invisible. You know, it's like it's not something that, like, it's not like I'm out dating other men or doing something else like super visible that right. um, that has to be out of the closet, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it's profoundly queer because like people assume, people assume that there's tons of invisible things happening in people's lives. And then, uh, to be able to tell someone, actually there isn't any thing yeah. happening. Like right. you're not, there's no assumptions to be made because it's actually, you know, the opposite. And how, and how weird is that? <laughs> Who would have ever thought that like, right. that like somebody, I mean, I think everybody just assumes that, that people have, like, these, you know, people are partnering up and, and yeah. having romantic and sexual encounters with people. Yeah. And, and if you don't see it, then it's happening somewhere where you don't see it. It's the funny thing about privacy is that it's assuming that it's hiding particular things. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad that you also feel that asexuality deserves to be a queer identity. I mean, I know that a lot of asexual people feel that way, too. And yeah, I, 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 I think so too. Yeah. I mean, anything that is challenging normativity around gender and, and sex, I think, is profoundly queer. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's what it's all about. Yeah. I don't think I have a tune that like fits into that, and now <laughs> that we'll play conversation. The asexual polka. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, well, what should we play next? Well, let's let's play the Talon Court next because uh, right. I was thinking this might that that sort of ties into what we were talking about because yeah, I was yeah. um, uh, just as a as a teacher, this is a tune that um, that I uh, taught my orchestra class, and I always relish the opportunity to teach fiddle tunes to uh, my middle school orchestra class at the Waldorf School. So, 
Yeah, and I got to have sort of a firsthand uh, experience of your pedagogy because you did have to teach this to me I, because it is outside of my paradigm. And, and you thank had to you slow so, it down for me. And thank you so much for being willing to take the time to learn it. It's a really cool tune. I love Likewise this one. for you teaching it. Um, yeah. So here we go. Ta- Talon Core. The Talon Core. I have the no Talon Core. Le, le Talon Core. Le Talon Core. Yeah. It's a French Canadian tune. Sure. Yeah. And I have no idea what that means. I don't think it actually means anything. But okay. But yeah, it's a popular tune that gets played. At, you know, those of us in Olympia who get together and play Quebecois tunes, this comes up in our sessions a lot. And I think I maybe associate it most of all with. Uh, with a fiddler here in Olympia named Carla Wolfsburg, who's a wonderful fiddler with a great love of Quebecois music. So, Carla, thanks for teaching me this tune. All right, here we go. One, two.
nice. Uh, I made it. I made it through. Well done. <laughs> Jesse, thanks for coming back to be on the show again. So fun. Always great to play tunes with you, Cameron. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully this summer getting to play some tunes off record. We will do... Well, they'll be on record because it'll be at Vashon. Yeah, yeah. definitely there will be that. Yeah. We got to record some tunes together at Vashon, the the third volume, last fall. Because normally it happens in the summer, right? Yeah. But they were pushing it back because they're like, can we make it happen? It was originally scheduled for the summer yeah. and then... And then, yeah, it got, it got delayed just because of COVID. And, but we, we did make it happen. It was really good to do it. Yeah. People should go get that album because it's really good. And uh, they should get the, this coming one when it comes out. Yeah. And I think those are, those are on Bandcamp. Yeah. So if you'd search, like, the Vashon Sessions. Yeah, I'll put uh, little links in the, in the show notes. Perfect. But also, you teach violin and fiddle, multiple genres in Olympia. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes you have openings. It's completely true. Yeah. So people should know that. So anybody who wants to learn how to play any of these fiddling styles, yeah. I would be happy to help you out with it. Good. Cool. What should we do for the last one? Okay, let's, let's finish off with a sweet one. Uh, this will be Crossing the Little Doe River. Crossing the Little Doe River. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always surprised at how few people know this tune. Um, but it's uh, in, around here in Olympia. It, it's... A really popular tune because I think it mostly has to do with Randy Leach, maybe maybe Ray and Ray and Randy both, and uh, and I've played it a lot with my friend Jay Finkelstein, and there's a there's a great love for this tune mm. among the, around the, the old time scene in this area. So I'm maybe 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 this will be an opportunity for some more people to hear it and for it yeah. to get out a little. Yeah, bit I've more. never heard. I always love when uh, there's a tune that I've never heard of, and it's like, oh, yeah, this tune's a big deal. Everybody should know <laughs> yeah, this everyone tune. everyone knows oh, this yeah. tune. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I always feel this sort of pressure yeah. to, like, how come I don't know that tune? I better yeah. learn that tune right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Washington State old-time canon. <laughs> Gotta learn it.
you want to study fiddle with Jesse, you can find him on Facebook. And if you don't have Facebook, just reach out to me on the Get Up in the Cool website contact form, and I'll put you two in touch. And go download the Vashon Sessions. They're free albums. And if you feel like giving something in exchange for them, consider donating to Real Rent Duwamish, an organization that calls on people who live and work in Seattle to make rent payments to the Duwamish tribe, the original inhabitants of Vashon and Seattle, who haven't been justly compensated for their land, resources, and livelihoods. Visit realrentduwamish.org to donate and find out more. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube. And if you're able, please help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. You can order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up in the Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional Clawhammer banjo series or to schedule a lesson with me. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box set, available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool.